God is not absent on my campus. This is how one Comenius Institute student sees our work at IUPUI. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Eckel. Multiple studies show that 75% of Christian young people may leave the church altogether after attending public universities. One of the key ingredients to maintaining Christian faith commitment through college is personal, spiritual investment in students. We are committed to spending time with Christian young people. The Comenius Institute, where we Christian are on wisdom on and Radio, Radio Next.TV at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday morning from 10 until noon, and the emphasis here is always on the same idea, uh, linking Christians throughout Indianapolis who are doing good. That is our focus, focus and focal point always uh, from Titus chapter 3, verses 1, 8, and 14. We are located here on the lovely corner of 2131 East 10th Street, right across the street from the Bonner Center. Uh, great things going on here. HB's got brand new programming uh, every uh, morning from 9 until 10. Uh, he comes in with folks who are here on 10th Street doing good things, uh, Christians uh, and others in the neighborhood doing good. Uh, here in our particular program, Warp and Woof Radio, we are interested in the warp and the woof of all of life. Now, warp and woof simply means the vertical horizontal threads that make up fabric. And from a Christian vantage point, we are always interested in seeing all things linked through Jesus. So the emphasis will always be from Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, by him, by Jesus, are all things held together. And of course, Comenius is the sponsor of this particular radio show. Comenius Institute is an organization here in Indianapolis, like 35 other Christian study centers around the United States, that line up next to public universities. We are interested in communicating with Christian young people, uh, other faculty and students, whomever, uh, about thinking through the issues, the great concerns and uh, ideas of this particular time and place in which we live. So there are 35 of us around the United States uh, linked in various ways. We do uh, ministry with students and faculty and institutions in different ways, but in our particular case, our emphasis and our interest is specifically in helping students to think through their academics from a decidedly Christian point of view. So we meet uh, once, one-on-one, uh, one on -one, small group. We have an emphasis always on the same kind of idea, and that is uh, just listening to students, uh, asking them, hey, what are you interested in? What are you studying right now? What have you heard in class? What's going on around campus? What is it that we can do to help the process? So our first bridge that we cross at the Comenius Institute is into the college, that is at the college at IUPUI for the Comenius Institute. And then the second bridge that we cross is into communities. And the radio show that we are invested in right now is actually the basis for uh, our connection to communities in and around Indianapolis. And so as I've suggested already, our Focus is on uh, helping people, uh, Christians around Indianapolis who are doing good, connect with each other. Uh, not anything different from what we are already doing here this morning. We have two uh, doctors coming in, uh, doctors in their right, in their field of expertise, uh, Dr. Dennis Humphrey, Dr. John Erickson. They have a wow background to all kinds of connections uh, throughout the world and their experiences. So our interest is in communities, linking communities, with a special emphasis on black and white relations, connecting Christian black and white leaders throughout Indianapolis. And our co-host, Dr. Clyde Posley, be coming in. Uh, he is African-American pastor here at the Antioch Baptist Church, downtown Indianapolis. So one of the things that uh, folks comment on on a regular basis 
on social media is this idea that you have a black PhD and a white PhD in the same picture, shaking hands, working together. How about that? Isn't that a, a news flash? And quite frankly, for some folks, it is. So uh, communities is the second bridge that we focus on. And the third bridge is into culture. So we're always interested in thinking through how do we uh, think differently as Christians about whatever cultural interests and issues there might be. And just as a snapshot for something going forward, something to look forward to, uh, not only do we have our ongoing series now, Truth in Two, which is an emphasis on uh, Christian truth, which is heard in two minutes uh, we have those. You can go to our playlist here at the YouTube channel. But also, you can find there uh, this new documentary preview. Uh, we've just been working on the documentary throughout the summertime. Uh, Josh Collingswood, our tech guy, is uh, actually putting this together, doing a yeoman's job with this. Can't wait to see the final product of what he puts together about the background and the intersection of all things at Cominius Institute. So the cultural bridge is the third bridge that we cross, and our focus is always on the same thing uh, every single week, uh, to bring Christians together uh, so that we might uh, speak to each other about what is of interest and what is important to us, uh, the kinds of intersections that we are making in the community. Uh, this is going to be a huge uh, concern for us. Just before we go to break, I wanted to say to everybody that uh, this particular program today is on serving emerging adults. And for those of you who uh, don't get the YouTube live, I wanted to read for you. Uh, this is from John D. Erickson. That's E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Uh, Longing for Eden. Uh, this is the Three Paths Out of Paradise. This is book number one. Uh, these gentlemen have put together a mentoring firm that helps millennials in particular, the next generation, we call them next-gen leaders. These are the folks who are going to be taking over uh, those of us who are in positions of agedness, which I count myself in now that I'm 61. So there you go. This emphasis, of course, is always going to be the same, uh, where we are highlighting those good folks who are doing good, Christians around Indianapolis, and these guys are coming in today talking about serving emerging adults. So in our first hour, after our first break here, we're going to be talking about the concept of mentoring, the biblical model for such, and we'll be coming back and talking about that. Take a one-song break. We'll be right back. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site at the corner of 2131 East 10th Street, Bonnet, right across the street. From the Bonner Center, we're really happy to be with you every single week. Glad to bring uh, folks who are invested in Indianapolis, uh, Christians who are doing good around the community. Today we're talking about the idea of mentoring, uh, concerned about serving emerging adults. And one of the keys, of course, to this is this concept of where does this come from in Scripture. And we want to emphasize the concept of a biblical model of mentoring that uh, acknowledges how important this is for us. So let's start with uh, one of those passages that really seems pretty easy, pretty straightforward to us, which comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now that word uh, imitators, by the way, is a very interesting word. At, literally in Greek, the word there is mimic. And so we actually use the word mimic in our English language. But the concept of imitation, mimicry, same kind of idea coming out of the original language in the New Testament, which is a very powerful uh, concept here. So we, when we talk about a biblical model, we talk about mentoring as mimicking. 
well, how does mimicking take place? I think that's a really important concept if we, we think about how the process of mentoring do, uh, takes place. So from my vantage point, I'll suggest that I have lots of different people that, are, that I'm mentoring at lots of different levels and lots of different ways and lots of different places. Uh, just to give some examples of this, uh, my good friend Matty Montgomery lives out in uh, Mobile, Alabama. Matt, Matty, for 10 years, was the front man for the Today Band, a uh, great band, great Christian uh, rocker out of uh, Alabama. Well, he has a brand new uh, group now called Awakening Evangelism. He has 50,000 followers on Twitter, all kinds of folks uh, invested in his programming. Uh, but he and I text and talk on a regular basis. And one of the things that uh, he uh, in, invests himself with with me is this concept of writing books. So he's got a brand new book coming out called Scary God. He's, of course, uh, communicating with a whole different demographic, a whole different group of folks, uh, certainly in the millennial age group. Uh, Maddie Montgomery is one of those voices to be heard. But from a distance, uh, my mentoring with Maddie uh, takes place. Uh, he texts me from Poland or Australia or wherever he's at, and we uh, text and talk about uh, those, the kinds of things that are most important to him. When I think about mentoring in terms of uh, a young person that is invested in this process, I also think of those who are uh, uh, committed to us at uh, the Cominius Institute. So when we talk about the issue of uh, Cominius Institute and mentoring there, uh, we're concerned with young people uh, who are uh, doing the kinds of things that they do at school, which is school. So one of the things that just happened just last evening, for instance, one of our students there at Cominius uh, connected with us. Uh, the connection was, hey, I need to talk. Uh, so Robin and I uh, talked for about an hour with this young person. And they're, they're going through some very difficult times, some very difficult situations. And uh, all of that to say, uh, we spent about an hour with them on the phone. So in this particular case, our focus uh, at the Cominius Institute, and specifically in the concept of mentoring, is uh, to help people wherever they're at with whatever is going on in their lives, and a concern, of course, that we model for them a biblical vantage point and an imitative uh, positive role model that is uh, a crucial concern for us. Good morning, my brother. Good, Good to morning. see you today. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Good. Thank you. Uh, we're grateful for uh, the kind of mentoring that you do, too. And one of the things that uh, is uh, really powerful to me whenever we have a chance to talk is how many of these young people's lives you are invested with uh, throughout your years. You know, you've talked about the 40 or 50 young people that you, you've uh, invested part of your life in. Talk about mm -hmm. that for a moment. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of that. Uh, well, it's tied into uh, my, my ministry, but I'm, I'm blessed to have about uh, 59 sons and daughters in, in the ministry and uh, in, in the faith that uh, I've either helped go to school, directed to school, uh, biblical college, and, and or not biblical college, or some have gone to seminary and have about three Ph.D. Uh, candidates wow. uh, in our congregation, uh, two Ph.D. candidates and one, one other Ph.D., so it's, it's, it's just a privilege to, to participate in what the scripture calls training up a child in the way that they should go mm -hmm. uh, and with the intent to trust God that when they're older, mm. they will not depart. Mm. And, uh, and, and there's a biblical platform uh, for how we should do this. Um, in, the, in Psalm, 1, Psalm 119, 
the Bible um, deals with the condition, the human condition of all people, and it specifically speaks to uh, cleansing the way of young people. Mm. It says, how else shall a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed hereunto the word of God? Mm. And so um, what the, the principle that's being lifted there is that the, uh, according to Scripture, there is no way for youth to understand clearly what their path should be. Mm-hmm. No way that excludes mm. God's help, God's okay. voice, mm. God's instructions, mm. patterns that we see in people. Mm. Um, and in the New Testament, Ephesians 6 and 13 says that we should follow those who through faith and patience have inherited. Well, it starts off by saying, be not slothful. Mm. So, <laughs> don't be slothful. First, yeah. First, yeah. First thing we want to do is not be lazy. There you go. You know, don't don't be a procrastinator. Don't mm. don't don't in, don't intentionally mm. uh, not do what what needs to be done. But instead, pick a person. Let let God give you a person who who to uh, after whom you can pattern your life mm-hmm. and 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 find how this should be done. Mm. I think uh, that the, 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 it often the, the Bible uses a term as you as you often so use mimic. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about he wants the people he wanted the people to mimic mimic him, mm-hmm. and young people need to not be so afraid to mimic someone. Mm. Yeah, that's what fathers are for. That's right. what mentors are for. Right. That's what teachers are for mm-hmm. uh, to give you a tangible example mm-hmm. of what of what God is trying to get you to see and be. That's why Christ came. Mm. This concept of uh, mentoring uh, is especially important uh, when we think about uh, the importance of young men for the future. And I know I'm not leaving out our uh, our fair gender of ladies here, but uh, since we're men, one of the things that concerns us and our focus, our focal point, is about the next generation of men that are coming up. Uh, I know, for instance, uh, one of your uh, right hand men at your church. Uh, Shaquan Eli mm-hmm. is uh, there and a Ph.D. candidate mm-hmm. and a very strong Christian brother who mm-hmm. uh, has a great voice and testimony. Right. Um, talk a moment about how important it is to train up men. Right. Well, well the men are progenitors in, in every way, in, in every way, spiritually, uh, uh, physically, emotionally. We are seed bearers. We plant. We imp- we, we, we place into a situation um, the life of it, mm. positively or negatively. Or negatively, yes. Yeah, positively yeah. or negatively. Um, and so, you know, uh, there. Uh, I heard a, a young rapper speaking one time about how that the women are most important in the world. They carry in. Yeah, w- women are fantastic, and we know. But 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 we can't get out of God's design. Mm. Women nurture what has been placed in them. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to teach young men that that you are you are um, the seed bearer. Your speech, your choices, uh, the paths you take, are all setting a standard, mm-hmm. giving a direction. You are a leader. Every, you, uh, technically, and, and this can be argued, a man doesn't have to uh, try to be a leader. Mm. You're born a leader. Mm-hmm. You're born a head, whether you like that or mm-hmm. not. No. You're born a head. And you are going to be leading something. What training and mentoring is designed to do is to help you do it wisely. Yes. 
if you do it biblically. But you are you are a young man. You are designed. Every young every young person is designed to be a head. Mm. And 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 every young lady, based on the way Scripture has designed things, is designed to help. That's not less than a head. Right. You yeah. know that that we we quit that concept. Yeah. But 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 perfect for God's design is what we're trying to get people mm. to become. And that that concept. Um, we, we we have to stay in those roles. Yes. I was driving down the street the other day, real quick, uh, uh, Doctor Eccles, and a guy was make, cracking a joke, and he thought it was funny, but he was really onto a biblical principle that many people have missed. Every, I'm going somewhere with this. Why why men? It's so important for men to learn, you know, to be the head, and not just to be the head, but to be leaders, to mm-hmm. be, to let themselves get taught uh, myot, do mm-hmm. wisdom. Here's why. This guy was joking about marriage. He said, every marriage has trouble. He said, even Adam and Eve had trouble. And and it, it reminded me of some teaching I had when I went to school. And that is, the, even the very first marriage mm. had trouble. Mm. The very first marriage. And Adam failed. Mm. He failed to walk in his role as, as a leader. And it cost us. Mm. Because he was outside of the instructions yes. of leadership that he had been given. The scripture says he had been given. Mm. Much of what is wrong with the world today, uh, I, I would dare say most of what is wrong with the world today, not just sin, but it is it is men who have not allowed God to influence what their role as leaders should look like. And that goes back to the Word of God, you say, so ably mentioned just a moment ago from Psalm 119. And, of course, just coming off Father's Day, it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I mention this, uh, the, the connection to this. In a couple of weeks, I'll be uh, preaching on Joshua chapter 2 at my own church, that mm-hmm. famous story of Rahab. And mm-hmm. one of the application points that I want to point out to folks uh, about Rahab is the necessity of strong women leaders and that, I think, Absolutely. is an important something, something that we need to emphasize as well. So let's talk for a moment about the necessity of, uh, of women who are building into or nurturing, as you well suggested earlier, uh, into life and into their families and into uh, communities. There is no fulfillment. There is no ultimate fulfillment of, of manhood and a man's purpose on earth without the influence of women. Mm. It's not possible. Mm. I didn't. I didn't say one couldn't uh, could not achieve what we consider "quote unquote" success. Mm. I didn't a popularity or fame or even mm-hmm. even some semblance of purpose. Yes. But but every God has 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 arranged it, mm-hmm. designed it, mm. so that all of what a man ultimately becomes is influenced by a woman. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not none of us. Uh, I have I have been a single Christian man and I've been a married Christian man. I prefer to be a married Christian man. <laughs> God said something about man that we don't hear much about in the very beginning. And 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 whether a person is the essentialist or existentialist, you know, we can debate. But but there are some essential truths that are that are that are real about mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Meaning, there's some root things we need to remember that God has said. One of them is, it is not good. For man to be alone. <laughs> there you go. This is huge. Mm-hmm. What this and so and so and so. Thus, there are Rahabs. Mm-hmm. There are Hildas. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are uh, um, uh, the sisters of Jesus, uh, uh, Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are women through, throughout Scripture that God used uh, to help men accomplish 
what God designed them to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I dare say, I go, I, I go so, in my view, I go so far as to say, not only are they valuable, they are essential. Yep. In other words, we don't, none of us, if, if we be honest as men, we wouldn't be, we, we, we can't accomplish what we need without women, mm. without the power, the intellect, the, the discipline, yeah. you know, the mental discipline of, of women. Let me add to your list and, and bring in uh, my wife's favorite uh, woman Bible character, which is Huldah, uh, out of Second Kings. Here is, uh, boy, talk about doing some hermeneutical butt-kicking in the Old Testament. Here we have this woman who says, uh, you know, the, the king finds the scroll. Of course, the priests and the prophets, they find the scroll, and they, they're not sure what to do with it. So they call in the woman, hermeneutist, to take care of the issue. The interpreter exactly. is the woman. Exactly. I, I think it's really important for us to recognize, let's, and let's make the segue now into the general population of millennials and young adults. How, how important is it for us to say to young people, uh, look, we are not interested in doing this till we're 80, okay? We're interested in building into you Absolutely. in our 50s and into our 60s. We need to hand the baton off. You know, people use different metaphors for this. Uh, let's talk about the necessity of the next generation of leadership coming up. Yeah, succession is, is and in godly succession, is not only a biblical thing, it, it, it's 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 a necessity. Physically, we're not designed to do this until we're 80. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just not what God, and you know, yeah, Moses died at 120, but that's not God's plan mm -hmm. for for how the, the the fact that our physical bodies, you could eat right, exercise daily, do everything you known under the sun, physically, at 980, 90, you're not going to be running and doing the just the physical strength. And so, we need to train a group that physically is once where we were, mm -hmm. and they and and we need to train them not only in in what we have to say to them, mm. but by what they see us do. Let me just make that uh, connection then to Cominius, because as you well know, we've talked about this. Uh, the plan, generally mm -hmm. speaking, about what the future holds for this organization mm -hmm. is uh, this emphasis of what we have uh, to do into the future. And mm -hmm. we've talked about the necessity of the executive director of this organization being a, a younger African-American man whom we can help with a Ph.D. through a Ph.D. program who can then become a professor and academic here in Indianapolis, uh, who can be a, a spotlight uh, so that as the years go by, you know, this person is hired, uh, we walk arm in arm, hand in hand down the road, but eventually, you know, this person just kind of takes over and I kind of fade to the background. I think this is essential. And of course, as you and I well suggest, one of the reasons for this very program, bringing cultures together, is the necessity of saying, you know what, black leadership matters and a white man wants to make sure that that happens within this organization. Right. And 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 within the and not only within the organization, but but for the purpose of the evolution that is occurring in society. Yes. You know, we 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 must accept the fact that that while sin and the presence of sin is universal, the practice of sin and the methods to bring about sin mm. are ever evolving. Mm -hmm. Satan is constantly honing his skills mm. of temptation mm. and how we carry out sin. He's got it on earth now. Mm. And so now he's working at, 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 at several ways to help us. Uh, and I, while the scripture does say there's nothing new under the sun, 
it's new to this culture. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's new to this culture. Yeah. And so and so so we need to train um, young people to under to, to to understand to hear this culture's cries, this culture's pain, um, and 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 take the energy and the aptitude hmm. and mix it together with wisdom hmm. to bring about change. Because mm-hmm. aptitude without energy mm-hmm. is 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 kind of useless. Yeah, that's right. Know? And and wisdom hmm. without energy hmm. and and true aptitude is kind of alone. It's like a person with a bunch of wisdom sitting on a hill doesn't have the courage to come down and do anything about excuse <laughs> me the uh, energy mm-hmm. to come down and do, do anything about right. it. No, we need we need to train young people, and we have to somehow convince them that we believe in them. We need them, and mm-hmm. they need us. And one of the things that stands out, and uh, you know, the kind of work that you're doing, kind of work that we're doing at Cominius, is that we actually want the the church today in 2018 in the United States of America to look like Revelation five, to Absolutely. look like Revelation seven and nine. Right. And so uh, this con- interconnectivity between ethnicities, we need to we need to be the the uh, persons that step out and say, you know what, we're going to model this for you. This is something that's so important to us. So we're talking about this concern about serving emerging adults and the next generation. So we want to be the models for those folks who are stepping into the next generation. Absolutely. One of the things that stands out to me when I think about this is uh, are the books of Thessalonians, which if you haven't read Thessalonians lately, it won't take you long. If you take First uh, Thessalonians, it'll take about 10 minutes to read that book. Mm-hmm. When you read First Thessalonians, one of the things that stands out to you is the emphasis on the things that are yet to come. In fact, every single chapter, there are five chapters in First Thessalonians, and one of the things that step, sits out to you or stands out to all of us mm-hmm. is this uh, necessity to, to, to understand that there is a future mm-hmm. coming. So at the end of each of our uh, chapters in Thessalonians, there's an anticipation of a life yet to come. But what is the emphasis all the way through the book? The emphasis is, I am giving my lifeblood. I'm giving all of my energy to you. Uh, what does Paul say in, in chapter 2? I've become a father and a mother to you. I've worked all night long so that I might not be a burden to you. He says this over and over and over again. He's literally building up this next generation right. and the importance of creating this positive role model is essential for us. So we see that throughout uh, the book of uh, Thessalonians. And one of the great things that he says right in the first chapter, in fact, he says, you know, I can't. I come into your town, and I don't even need to speak of the gospel because you've already done that. Here's testimony to the modeling that Paul has already done for the Thessalonians. That's right. The, and another another uh, uh, truth about the, the church of Thessalonica uh, that's relevant today is they had been taught uh, that, that that had received ill teaching. They they had been t- told by some people who had their own agenda. Uh, that resurrection wasn't real. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was no such thing as a. Uh, they'd never heard of a rapture, and Paul had to explain to them. He had to undo a lot of what the culture had taught them, mm. which is why he, which is why he uh, was so uh, was so tender-hearted with the church at Thessalonica, mm-hmm. because he recognized that that some of their concerns and some of their behavior uh, uh, was was what they, what them falling prey to some of the. Uh, erroneous teachings of of the era, 
you know, whenever you, um, Dr. Echo, one true principle is, is if is maybe not that profound, but if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, association brings assimilation. Yeah, that's and, right. And 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 we have a culture of young people today who need uh, mentoring, who need examples, because there is a culture of young people uh, who have been. Uh, Who've seen bad models, and who have whose opportunities uh, they think are dwindling for uh, uh, to get out of rough situations or to get out of abusive situations, and 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 they have to be mentored out. They have to be taught out. They have to be almost debriefed mm. uh, uh, so that they can a brainwashed a washing of the thoughts. Mm. Well, their minds, Romans 12 and 2, will call, uh, 12 and chapter 2, will call it uh, not being not conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing their minds. Mm. Uh, mm. A lot of young people are hardened against any instructions mm-hmm. because the formative years of their lives, uh, like the church of Thessalonica, was, was steeped in, mm. in harsh treatment, mm. lies about who you are, lies about God. Lies, exemplary, and examples in people, the wrong things, judgment, legalism, mm. and and you're going to hell if you do this. And God doesn't love people of your race, and mm. God doesn't, love, you know. And so and so, there's a transformation often necessary in order to mentor. You almost mm. have to detoxify their thinking. Oh my, yeah. And then implement something better. This is a, a huge concern for us as we set examples. In fact. If we pick up on that word example in uh, in Greek, one of the things that we find, uh, it, actually it's repeated in First Thessalonians chapter 1, the Greek for the word example is the word type or imprint. It's literally a mark that's left from a blow or a, a design stamped on a coin leaving a pattern, something to be copied and followed. Mm-hmm. And so the emphasis is on something to be result-oriented. And I know we live in a culture where result orientation or production is based on things, whereas in the Christian view of life and things, we are more concerned with people right. and ideas than we are right. with reproducing things. Right, 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 right. The a changed life is the goal. Yes, and uh, and that that that, that really not to, I'm not intending to go back, but that goes back to um, the mindset of mm-hmm. many young people in this world that success is stuff. Yes, bling. They call it bling. You know, um, he's got this, or she's got that, or or they're famous, or mm. they're on TV, so they must be. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Cash does not necessarily. Uh, character is not necessarily uh, seen because a person has uh, cash. Yeah, that's right. So the emphasis, of course, is not on things, but on yeah, people. The riches just, of this world. Isn't that the truth? And just as a side comment, I I, I want to say I've been saying this for years. One of the things that just really grinds on me is when we call um, call what we say at, uh, this area of business as human resources. Mm. I have never liked that phrase. Mm. It's a phrase that suggests that I'm going to u- use you, and then when you're used up, I'm going to throw you away. Mm. If we could at least, people, anybody listening from the HR departments, if we could at least go back to personnel departments where we have the emphasis on person, could we please do that? Of course, the emphasis there on being made in God's image. Well, before uh, we take a break here in about five, seven minutes, uh, before we 
uh, bring in our, our guests here in the second hour, I wanted to sit, talk about a little bit about the metaphors that we find of ourselves establishing models uh, for others. And so uh, I've just listed three of them here. One of them is called uh, Walk the Line uh, from Romans 4.12, Acts 21.24 and elsewhere. Follow in his footsteps or tracks is something that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 2. And then the word devotion, literally giving up yourself uh, to be with other people. Uh, let's play around with those concepts for a moment and the importance of the pictures that we present to young people, to emerging adults, uh, how do we pictorially, visually communicate to them in a way that is going to say to them, you know what, the best way for you to learn is to follow me. What kind of pictorial ideas do we or should we be utilizing in our own culture that suggests to millennials, it suggests to emerging adults that, hey, you know what, uh, we have an opportunity here to do something different, and here's a picture of that for us. Well, um, that's 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 some question uh, because uh, it's it's required for the young people's success. The Bible says in the Book of Proverbs, chapter twenty-eight, where there is no vision, mm. the people perish, mm. and so that that suggests to us that that pictorials in in the mind mm. are how we keep folk from perishing. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, in, in an age of social media, it's good. we got to somehow start there, mm. you know, in my mind, uh, what, what, what images they are seeing, not just in, in pattern, but in, in terms of mentors and in lifestyles, but what, what images they are seeing. I, I think television mm. is playing a major role. You know, if you go back, you know, I, I know the Old Testament is, is, is a tr- tremendous uh, uh, place for, for your uh, of your training, and as you know, the book of Deuteronomy, God Im- implemented the concept of imaging mm-hmm. uh, in Deuteronomy chapters four through six. Mm-hmm. How write it on the eyelids, write it on the doorpost, right? Mm-hmm. So what God was doing was imaging, mm-hmm. marketing Himself, mm-hmm. marketing truth, mm-hmm. uh, trying to implant it in the mind. And this is not the show for it. But 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 there's something to be said about painting yes. pictures in the minds of people. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Kamish Nunley, um, uh, was, was it Jason Laster, is that his mm-hmm. name? They, mm-hmm. they they could probably speak better to this than than, than I. But uh, we we have to come up with a way. Even if, even if it, it may sound radical, but we have to begin to confront because he, the devil is always painting pictures. Mm-hmm. He's always trying to find ways. To blast either with words or with 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 negative, you know, um, images that that people have been tricked into believing are positive. That's a it's a major question. It is a, it's an important you know. question to consider when you when we consider First Testament teaching. I'll just give some examples of this and and uh, mention Simon Sinek for just a moment, and I'll come back to him. But of course, Simon Sinek has become a major word, a major player in uh, leadership emphases, and uh, one of the things that he put out there was uh, the importance of uh, the golden circles and the question of why. Back in 2009, he did a TED Talk on this. Well, what's fascinating, and what I tell my students about this when we watch the TED Talk, is that Simon Sinek got his stuff right out of Exodus and Deuteronomy, because when God said, I'm going to put blood on the lintels, on the doorposts, so that the angel of death will not will pass over your house mm-hmm. and not uh, wipe out your ancestors or your progeny. 
uh, or when uh, they line up uh, a pile of rocks down by the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 4, what does God say over and over and over again? When your son asks you why. Absolutely. So Simon Sinek got his stuff from ancient texts, namely that the emphasis is always on the why question. So I make that comment and make that point to come back to our visual analysis. If we're going to be uh, training emerging adults, if we're going to be uh, thinking about millennials and the importance of next-gen leadership, we need to think in terms of uh, visualization, in terms of how we're going to communicate in a direct, simple way. One of the reasons... Uh, that, for instance, we started a whole series of Truth and Two in, in Comenius is that we can com- communicate one uh, Christian idea in two minutes of time, and it's always story-based. Story will always communicate with everybody. It's a baseline visual concept that everybody relates to. Hmm. Uh, certainly f- uh, leaders into the future are going to be using story, uh, certainly something that we should be thinking about in terms of when we're modeling this for others, what kind of visual representations are we putting in front of them so that they look at that and say, that not only is a personal relationship I have with this person, but now it's imprinted on my thinking, on, my, on the doorpost of my mind, right. as it were. You know, I, I, and, I'm, and I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here listening. Those things you said are absolutely profound. I'm just sitting here thinking about the, how, what, how we present text. As humans. Ooh, how do we present text as humans? Go. You know, yes. You know, if, if you look at the age, you know, one of the things happening today is a proliferation of body art. Body art, okay. You know, mm-hmm. and tattoos. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying anyone's going to hell because they have a tattoo. Or like that. That's not <laughs> no. But, but, but we, we have a culture of people who, who in increasing, in increasing manner is trying to say things to us. By painting their bodies, mm. Mm. some even um, mutilating their bodies mm-hmm. to s- try to speak to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, these are just things that we have, we need to consider when we're trying. Because if we're going to mentor a culture, we have to hear them. Mm-hmm. We have to hear what they're saying. Right. You know. Again, I don't want to get into you know someone else's field, but what does it say mm. when 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 we have an increasing number? You see professional athletes. Yep. You see. Uh, uh, celebrities, yep. people who are not professional athletes, and people who, who walking in the street in front of us, <laughs> you know. And I just walked and noticed all these people walk. Just everyone, I've noticed a tattoo yeah, on every that's one right, of them. on every person, yep. and they are saying, "What is the broader thing?" They are saying something. Something. What is what is a culture feeling that feels they need to speak to us in alternative ways? What does it say about what they think about what we're hearing about mm. them? This goes back to your good comment about text and how do we communicate text yeah. in a culture of yeah. pictures. Because there's, there's a multiplicity of ways that Mark Brocker suggests this. Uh, there's a multiplicity of ways that society presents text mm-hmm. that is that, that are words yes. that are not written. Yes. And, right. it, and, and, and it's used. And, and often we miss, a, we miss narratives That's right. uh, that are key to learning the people mm-hmm. we seek to mentor. Because we often have trouble reading the, their chosen text. One of the things, i just make a comment about this quickly. I'm going to be teaching this course, Reading, Writing, and Inquiry at IUPUI. We've talked about this mom, uh, for a moment in the past. But I emphasize this to say that every single uh, class hour, I'm going to be playing different kinds of music. I think you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. before. And the reason why I'll be playing different kinds of music is to connect with the music that 
encourages, uplifts, energizes, uh, invests itself right. within the students right. that I'll be teaching. Which is a part of the humanities. Right. So right. that they see this, hey, you know, there's a prof there right. that actually cares about my stuff. Right. Absolutely. There, there is another text. There is much for you to gather from their music, their response to their music, mm -hmm. and their response to you playing their music. Yes. You know, that there's, there's just so much. I, 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 of course, for obvious reasons, I believe that the humanities represent the most important hermeneutical opportunities for us. Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah, preach it, brother. That. <laughs> That's right. That. And I'm so pleased uh, to be able to participate in that at, at IUPUI here this coming fall. But, of course, uh, this is your field. Uh, this is something where you've earned your Ph.D. in uh, the humanities, specifically in political science. Political and science. And there's a whole field. And, by the way, we're going to be talking with uh, an up-and-coming African-American leader here in the city, July 18th, is it July 18th, uh, that Wednesday, uh, he's running for uh, a seat here in the city council. We'll be talking with him, actually, about politics and how to be a Christian in politics in Indianapolis. That'll be a great show. Everybody will want to turn in for that, tune in for that one as well. Well, uh, we're going to be uh, taking a break here in just a couple minutes as we uh, kind of land this first hour. We want to take a two-song break, but when we come back, we're going to be engaged with a couple of doctors in their own right. Uh, doctors Dennis Humphrey and Dr. John Erickson are coming in from Eden Consulting. They're going to be talking about their work with the emerging adults that they serve, millennials, young uh, people who are coming up as next-gen leaders. Uh, we talk about next-gen with our our little bit of a hashtag there in front of that. And we'll be talking with them, uh, asking them to tell their stories about the importance of passing on what they have and their experience in their lives into the next generation of young people. And uh, we're really, of course, happy to establish some biblical guidelines here, as we always do in the first hour. Dr. Clyde, it's always a pleasure to be with you and, my and, pleasure, my friend. and chat with you about uh, the world that we live in and how do we communicate in this way. And, of course, you've been doing a series. Uh, you're ending your series this week, this, right, this, on mental well, health. I, I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. I'm going to try to end it. <laughs> okay. But mental health and yeah. the Christian church. Yeah. And the Christian mission, rather. Mm -hmm. Mental health and the Christian mission. Last week I talked about uh, um, the silence of the rams, mm. why men, why some men have trouble worshiping. Mm. And um, and so this week I'm going to be talking about mental health and uh, and and some of the emotional pain that women go through mm. uh, and mental health and emotional health, uh, uh, mental illness and emotional mm. uh, pain or illness or hurt is not necessarily mm. the same thing. And we are uh, so pleased that you are doing the warp and woof of mental health with biblical principles. Uh, we're grateful for your leadership here in Indianapolis as a pastor, as a leader in uh, lots of different arenas, including the academic realm. You've been listening to the first hour of Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We're going to be taking a two-song break, but when we come back, we'll be introducing you uh, to Drs. Humphrey and Erickson from Eden Consulting. You don't want to miss what they have to say this morning. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after two songs. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNX.TV at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday from 10 until noon. And every week we have different guests in that we are spotlighting our focus on, Christians doing good around Indianapolis. And we are just so pleased today to have uh, Drs. Humphrey and Erickson here with us uh, from Eden Consulting. 
and the opportunity that they have to explain and expose what it is that they do in the emerging adult arena, specifically in what uh, generally is uh, referred to as the millennial generation. So we're concerned with next-gen leadership today. And if you're tuning in uh, live or if you're tuning in the podcast later on, I'd like to introduce uh, John Erickson and Dennis Humphrey. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. We are grateful that you have taken the time out of your busy schedules to be here with us. Thank you so much. Uh, we just want to give you, as we do with all of our guests, kind of an opening salvo here. Give us a little bit about yourselves, your background. Uh, John, I know when you and I talked, uh, you could probably take a couple days to tell me all the stuff you've done in your lifetime. I'm sure the same is true with you, Dennis. Uh, but give us just kind of an overview of where you've been in life and uh, to the place that you've come right now. Well, I uh, grew up in Canada, southern Ontario, and uh, went to school in upstate New York where I met my wife, Heather. Hmm. Eventually rotated back to Canada and then up to Chicago area for graduate school. Okay. And I uh, grew up in uh, holiness tradition. So have deep roots with that. Currently live in the Chicago area. Have four children, three dogs, mm. too many cars. <laughs> and um, my background is in clinical mental health, okay. and that's really where the Lord led me, right from day one. And along the way, I, I got a chance to step into some business consulting in the career development area, and got mm. to work with a lot of uh, top of the house C-suite people. Mm. Learned a lot from them. I like to say I got my MBA just through them. Uh, but uh, God called me into the church, and uh, mm. my parents were church people. My grandfathers were churchmen, you know, very deeply involved at the mm. lay level. Mm. And I uh, was called into a pastor for three years. I tell people that was the, the best job and the worst job I ever had, and I would never trade it. Mm. And so um, in my counseling, although I'm clinically trained and all that, you know, I really have a heart for discipleship and mm. really... Um, if I were to describe it, you know, my job is to help people understand their hearts, help mm. people understand God's heart, and then draw those two together. Mm. And that's that's what I do. I, you have, uh, you just have a multi uh, multifaceted layering going on in your life. My word. Yeah, lots going. I also teach at uh, Trinity International University and oh, Trinity yeah. Divinity School. John and I co-teach some courses oh, there. Great, great and school. So, yeah, yeah, so very we, good. We have that going on as well. Well, I'm concerned that you have too many cars, especially living in Chicago, but that's yeah. another discussion, <laughs> I <Yeah>. suppose. <laughs> John, uh, tell yeah. us a little about yourself. Well, my life, I grew up in Indianapolis, um, here in Indianapolis, up on the, the northeast side. And so I've had my, my life has had basically three sections. Um, I went to Purdue University and got an electrical engineering degree. Uh, following my dad and other mm. people in my life, and so I wanted to go to medical school, and my dad wisely said, well, go get a degree in something you can actually get a job with okay. when you decide not to go to medical school, <laughs> and he was right. I never did go to medical school, mm. but uh, graduated from Purdue and went immediately to work for uh, the United States government. I worked for the Department of the Navy for a while, and then I worked for uh, the Department of State. Mm. And in the State Department, I was immediately assigned to the security detail for the Secretary of State, which was George Schultz at the time. Mm -hmm. So lots of stories around following the Secretary of State and the President around the world as they mm -hmm. uh, prosecuted the Cold War. Mm -hmm. uh, some, uh, yeah, some really good things that both... I became a believer when I was in college, and so during my 20s, I was obviously trying to figure out what to do with myself. Mm -hmm. But the connection between my faith and then seeing how the United States government worked at kind of the top level was a very interesting set of experiences the Lord used to kind of push me forward mm. in understanding you know, a lot of different areas and interests. Mm. So that was kind of my first career, was in engineering. And then in 1991, 
um, we were living in Israel at the time, and uh, the Lord just made it really clear, it's time for you to go do something else now. Um, I'm done with that part of your training, and so mm. now you're going to go do something else. And so that was move to Chicago and go to Trinity. Um, and so that's where in the fall of 1991 I met Dennis sitting mm. in the chapel, contemplating the birth of his first child, wondering mm. whether he could stay there. Wow. Or afford to stay, mm. and we close became close friends. Though we're very different, as I even write in the book, you know, we, we approach everything about what we do from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. There's been a bond that's happened, mm-hmm. a friendship that has carried us into a lot of different, really important, I think, ideas in ministry situations. Mm-hmm. So my second part of my world was being at Trinity, being trained there, eventually being trained. Um, in uh, practical theology, and I mm. stayed there, was asked to stay by Dr. David Larson, who was my mentor there, to uh, teach preaching courses and leadership courses for about 15 years, I guess, I was in the Chicagoland area, wow. teaching at Trinity and then pastoring a little church in the city of Chicago, right in the mix of, you know, urban mm. world. Mm. Um, so did that, and then in uh, 2005, I was asked to take a church back in Lafayette, Indiana. So I went around the world and eventually ended up back where Debbie and I got married in mm. Lafayette, and, or where we were for our first year. And mm. Pastored a little church for, I mean, it's pastored a good-sized church, actually, for a very short period of time. And that's another part of the story I tell at the beginning of that book, is uh, that uh, what I thought was going to be the next part of my life and career turned out not to be didn't stay at that church for very long for a number of reasons, but when I did leave, this kind of third stage now of my ministry in life has mm-hmm. begun. It's taken now about 12 years to get settled into it, but I realized that my passion, even when we were in seminary, was not, as much as I love the theology and I love studying languages and I love the material, even teaching guys how to preach, which I really enjoyed, I realized that my heartbeat was for the guys themselves, guys and, and gals, who were going to become the next generation of leaders, mm-hmm. both in the church and in the, mm-hmm. the world around us. And I realized that there were some significant gaps in how they prosecuted their lives mm-hmm. that would keep them from being the productive, helpful, thriving leaders that I knew they could become. Mm-hmm. So I think the seed of this started way back in seminary, and so mm-hmm. for the last 12 years we've been working together specifically to work with you know next generation leaders mm-hmm. and so i guess i call what i do leadership development but even that's kind of a loaded term because mm-hmm. it really means something different than probably you would hear if you were talking about a business leader developing yes. someone or even someone in a classroom mm-hmm. or in a school when you say leadership development Often it's not talking about your heart, mm-hmm. it's talking about your skills, mm-hmm. it's talking about how much you know or mm-hmm. what you can do. And my sense and our sense of leadership development is to say, what would it look like if you allowed God to actually flow through your life mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. like Jesus did? When Jesus lived his life as the best example of a leader who's ever lived, He did that simply by listening to his father Mm -hmm. and doing and saying what his father was doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where we're going ultimately, Mm -hmm. is to say, what does it look like for you to to lead by listening to your father? One of the things that stands out to me as I'm hearing both of you talk, the whole ignorance tradition, and then obviously a very heavy emphasis on the third person of the Trinity here from you, John. The emphasis, of course, is that which we do not see. And, And one of the things that I think Christians really stink at these days is listening to the Spirit of God. 
there's about 20 different questions that I want to talk about outside of the, even the questions that are on this page, which I doubt we'll even get to. But beyond that, I wanted to say what, what I'm hearing from both of you and what seems to be the sense of things is that there's this symbiosis between not only you as individual people, but you coming together as a partnership, and beyond that, an interdisciplinary connectivity mm-hmm. between your sciences and the development of how you think about those things. So take a moment to talk about that, to talk about this symbiosis, this interdisciplinarity, this warping and woofing, if you will, these things that are bringing two things together. I think, well, obviously, John, you, you come out of the church theology direction, um, come with your engineering degree, so that brings a certain way of thinking. And I come out of uh, psychology, counseling, uh, and education. And so oftentimes uh, we will come at an issue where he will come at it from a kind of an articulated biblical anthropology, mm-hmm. and he'll bring that piece in, and I'll come from this direction of, well, this is, this is all worked out in a human context, so I'm going to talk about what's going on in a human context. And mm-hmm. usually we meet in the middle on that, mm-hmm. but it, it provides really fruitful and productive conversation when, mm-hmm. when we come at it from those directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to just begin kind of using the vocabulary of three paths out of paradise, you know, this idea of root sins, which we mm-hmm. heard about, root motivators, if you want to use that term, root longings, whatever is the better. Sometimes mm-hmm. sin is a, 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 a word that gets in the way of helping people hear. But we, as we talk about these root longings, the, the pride, the idolatry, and the unbelief, or in this case, the respect, the value, mm-hmm. and the need to be loved. Mm-hmm. Well, I come at things from this sense of, of the pride root sin, which mm. means that I'm right. Mm. And um, <laughs> whether or not you actually know that, <laughs> you know, will be seen. But mm-hmm. I don't. I approach everything from this perspective that I, I either have this figured out or I will get it figured out. Because sure. clarity is very clear. Clarity, competence, not being a failure. Essentially, I, I don't know if I could say this on the radio, but essentially I don't want to suck. Yeah. And a lot of people live their life basically yeah. trying to figure out how not to suck. Yeah, exactly. And so I p- approach everything from that sense of competence and information and clarity. Let's get clarity about this, and I'll bang away on something mm-hmm. until I get my, what I believe to be clarity. Mm. Dennis approaches things from the what we call the root sin of unbelief, which means that... that avoiding conflict where I would run into a conflict because Mm -hmm. it would bring me clarity, Dennis will run away from a conflict because it makes him feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So avoiding pain is going to be very important for Dennis. So as we approach a problem, a conflict, a situation, a class, uh, any situation that we have come at together, we've had to learn how to let the other person's spirit kind of changed root Mm -hmm. motivation you know, come to bear in that situation. So Dennis is really, really good at feeling what's going on in somebody, being really aware of what their emotional response is going to be if we approach an issue with them because if I, if I don't pay attention to that, I might give them truth all day long. I might yeah. be very, very clear with them, but until their hearts change, until their emotions move, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, well, it just... We like to describe it, John. I describe him as blunt force trauma. <laughs> you know, when when we need it broken to fix, then that's uh-huh. that's John. And and I come in, I'm the stiletto. I'll stick you, and you'll bleed out your back <laughs> before you know it. Um, but it, it does. It um, 
you know, it's just bringing the gifts to bear. Even as we talk about these root sins, the, and once they're understood and the entitlements of them are let down, mm. uh, what blossoms is giftedness mm. and, 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 a, and a, a way to move the kingdom forward, even from someone like myself who mm. kind of grew up in, a, in that holiness tradition, which is very rule-based in some ways, uh, but to be able to move away, understand that, understand my nuance in that, and even move to courage out of that place and, and that brings mm. uh, a kingdom momentum with someone. One of the things that uh, strikes me to say, since we're all teachers here, I'll just make this comment about teaching, that nobody teaches because they think they're wrong. No. Okay, so everybody yeah. teaches because they think they're right, so let's yeah. just defend teachers at this moment. But the second thing I wanted to bring to the, everybody's attention, which really comes to the title of your book, The Three Paths, is this Latin word trivium, or trivia, which literally means three ways. So you've got tri, which means three, and via, which means ways. In the ancient world, when you had three roads converge, this would be a place where people would share information and knowledge with each other and tell stories about, hey, what just happened 20 miles back or whatever. Talk about the paths converging and the necessity of seeing those things do that in your work. Well, the paths that have converged for us have been, one, our different trainings. And so he, as Des has been trained in the counseling field and in mental health field, and I was trained in engineering and theology. So the first paths that came together were, what do we each bring from our knowledge base and the way we approach problems from those two things? One of the things I was going to say as we were talking about how we work together is one of the... You, you basically have two, way, two ways of looking at someone when, when they're sitting across the table from you. And you look at them and you see their gifts, you see their abilities, you see their background. You're going to look at them in one of two ways. They're either going to be a threat or they're going to be a gift. Mm -hmm. And when I'm sitting in a circle with other people, other pastors, other leaders, and I'm looking at the, that room, I sit there and think... I could look at everyone else in this room as competition to me. Mm. They could be a threat. Mm. Or you would look at them as a threat to you know you feeling comfortable, you yeah. being able to, to, to relate to them emotionally in a mm -hmm. way that was helpful to you. Yeah. But whatever, we can look at people as threats or we can look at them as gifts mm. and say, you contribute something of absolute necessity to this situation and if you weren't here, it wouldn't happen. Mm. If we take on that attitude, whether it's with one person, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's with our friend, or with someone we're in conflict with, or a room full of our peers that we're all trying to get something done, if I look at everybody around the room and say, how do you slot in here? How are you a gift and not a threat to me? Mm. That's going to produce an environment, an atmosphere we really, where we really can thrive. So the one path has been just kind of allowing our two sets of, of trainings to come mm -hmm. together. The other, the other, another path that has come together is how God has allowed us into various different circumstances. You know, both of us enjoy teaching, but teaching very different subjects in different ways, especially pulling us together, for example, when we were overseas. So I spent a lot of time teaching in Eastern Europe, in the Ukraine, and in Croatia, in Hungary, in Czech, and a number of Eastern European schools. But Dennis came with me on a number of those trips. And what's interesting is when you're in a cross-culture environment, 
the need to see each other as yeah. gifts is mm. really, really important because mm. now we need both of our sets of gifts to translate this into this culture that we're in and not just come be, be Americans that come and just plunk down ideas on top of them, yeah. but actually be willing to listen. And Dennis is just really, really good at listening to the heart of someone and saying, John, your information is really good, but are you seeing what's the effect it's having on this person mm -hmm. over here? Um, maybe if you did it this, if you said it this way, maybe they would get it. Yeah. So that's another path has been. And then in the classroom, um, just even just recently, we had a really amazing experience um, in teaching the material on, on this plus the material on conflict that the mm -hmm. second book is about. Um, you can just why don't you describe that? It was um, it was kind of set up as a lab course where we we did some content dump on in the morning. And it was a doctor of ministry, doctor of ministry course, so it was a course, week long yeah. seminar. And then the afternoons um, they were to bring conflicts out of their ministry context, and so we just kind of circled up and just started to apply the material of the day to to the conflicts. And what we found, what was very interesting, was seeing tenured ministry leaders just feeling deeply inadequate about their ability to, to navigate conflict and as we help them through conflict inevitably what we started to do was say okay now what's coming out of your heart is something here and so it, it wasn't a therapy class but it was definitely therapeutic in a way mm. and um, what we started to do where oftentimes people would come in and the scenarios presented were you know you're the problem here uh, we were able to take that and they were able to embrace the idea of, okay, here's what I brought to the conflict and here's what I need to attend to. And when I do that, I go to peace and I'm able now to reach out and, and take what's gifted here and help shepherd what's going mm. on. It was, it was a powerful, powerful mm. experience. And what, mm. was, what was especially powerful for us was, now we've taught this material on conflict in a lot of settings yeah. and most of the time it's been in a master's degree course at the seminary. This was the first time we've been asked to put it together for this group of basically our peers. Yeah. Some of them were even older than us. But these were military chaplains. These were guys. We had a Nigerian priest. We had guys from India, Korea, across the you know the world. And this, and this group of people who didn't really know each other all came together, and in discussing our our struggles with how to deal with pain, we became a community. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about that is that in Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Shame, he's written two books, The Anatomy of, S of Shame and The Soul of Shame. These are the most important books that we have encountered on how to deal with the idea of shame. Mm -hmm. It's they, These are these seminal writing in this area. Mm -hmm. So Kurt Thompson talks about what happens with our brains on shame. He's a neurobiologist, mm -hmm. and he's actually done the physiological study of the brain to see what happens mm -hmm. when our brains encounter various emotional things. Mm -hmm. And well, we're going to take a break here, just so when you come, when we come back off this break, I'm really interested in this neurobiology because that's in education and as an educator, this is a really powerful concept. But let's come back to that after our break. We're going to take a one-song break. When we come back, we're going, to con we're going to continue the conversation with Drs. Humphrey and Erickson about this concept of what does it mean to be a mentor to the emerging leadership of the next generation, following up with our themes here this morning. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are here at 2131 East 10th Street, right across the street from the Bonner Center. Come by and wave at us through our wonderfully, lovely plate glass windows. We'd love to see you here. We are spending time here today talking about serving emerging adults 
with Drs. Humphrey and Erickson. And uh, Merlin Gonzalez has just joined us here from Faith, Hope, and Love. Good morning, Merlin. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. We're glad for your voice as well. Um, we just paused here at the uh, at the segment uh, just as we were coming out of the we're coming into the music. Uh, we had just paused talking about the importance of neurobiology and uh, a point that you were making there. So, if you wanted to go back to highlight this again and then uh, drive it forward into the point that you wanted to make about emerging adults. So before the break, we were talking about a, a really seminal work. In fact, even uh, Merlin's been exposed to this at a table talk that we did for, for uh, his organization about Kurt Thompson's book called The Soul of Shame. And in that book, um, just very briefly, uh, he talks about how shame does two things to us, why it's so powerful and why it is so relationship-destroying. One is, basically what he talks about is that shame neurobiologically separates the different functions of your brain so that your brain can't work together as well. So when it's all together, when you have an emotion in the base part of your brain, it eventually gets worked up into the frontal cortex so it gets processed correctly by all the things you know and believe that are true. What shame does is it attempts to disassociate, and he's actually proven how this happens. He's watched it happen with MRIs. It pulls your brain apart so that this never makes it here. Mm. And so you act out of the base instinct, the base emotion, rather than one that's been processed by what you know is true. Mm. And so when that happens, then you respond in ways that are purely from your base instincts, which are going to be to protect yourself or to... Fight or flight fight or whatever you do that wouldn't be something that you would want normally to do, especially mm. if you're a believer. Mm. The other thing that shame does is, and you see this in the first part of, of, the, of the Bible, when Adam and Eve you know, sinned, they ate fruit they weren't supposed to eat, shame descended over them, mm-hmm. and the first thing they did was they, they hid. They hid from each other, and they hid from their father, God. Mm. The second thing shame does is it isolates us, Mm. and it pushes us constantly to isolate. Well, you know how this feels. When you've done something that, you know, even as a kid, you knew when you did something that your mother or father didn't want you to do, what'd you do? You went and hid, right? Your typical reaction was, I'm ashamed, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so I'm going to hide. Well, what uh, Thompson talks about in the book is the antidote to to those things, the thing that actually allows you to live shame-free in a relationship, are things that put your brain back together and actually avoid isolation. And those are vulnerability, which is actually disclosure that is empathetic toward other people, mutually sharing empathetic truth, vulnerability, and community. And community is when you choose to be in intimate relationships with one another, though you could get hurt again, you mm. could your trust could be violated, but when you choose to be in community, it thwarts the shame that would otherwise drive your relationships. Mm. So that's that the reason I talk about that, the power of shame, is because that's one of the things that in mentoring we are having to do all the time. Yeah. We're constantly we have three things that you know when we talk about why we do this, well, there's a there's a there's a gap here. You know, guide these young folks, young men and women. They don't know their hearts very well. They don't know how their hearts work. They don't know their Bibles very well. They don't have a sense of the warp and woof, so to speak, of Scripture's mm-hmm. story. So they don't put the pieces together. 
And then they don't really know God very well. They have a very indistinct or incorrect view of how what his character is and how he operates. And mm-hmm. what he, well, if you if you can give them those things back, how does your heart work? What does the Bible say? Who is God for you? Man, you are moving very rapidly into creating someone who's going to be able to move well. And, and what you do when, when that's happening, you're, you're closing the gap between what ultimately they know to be true and believe and, and then living that truth. Mm. And, uh, and shame is often what sits in between that. Because people will say, well, I, I believe that to be true, but then why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why am I in this conflict? And, uh, and we focus a lot on guilt, and, and we need to, you know, substitutionary atonement and, you know, Christ's work on the cross to alleviate our, our legal sin guilt. But, but this idea of shame, this often is the piece that we're not talking about that's hampering people, that's preventing people from moving forward in, into wholeness and into kingdom work. Mm. Merlin, when you uh, in- invited these gentlemen uh, to give a table talk, uh, what was your intention there? What, why did you want them to speak to this particular issue at your venue? That's a very good question. <clears throat> I met uh, John um, at one of the meetings, and um, it feels like there's a connection between uh, his expertise, his studies about shame, and the general population that we serve at the food pantry. Mm. Actually, with, uh, with this uh, Faith, Hope, and Love Week coming up July 22 to 28, uh, we are going to, to make more awareness that uh, the root causes of uh, hunger is really not lack of food, maybe food access, but really it's deeply rooted in probably shame, guilt, and some other um, things that our mind were conditioned. Mm. You know, we we have our own reality that may not be the true reality. So we're not saying that we know all the reality, but at the same time, if we can just, you know, um, take one step at a time, and maybe starting with shame and, and explain that by, by an expert, I think we can start uh, becoming more aware because as I think as we talk about in the past, that awareness uh, starts. When awareness starts, then change can continue. So am I going to be able to overcome my addiction to the legal white powder of sugar? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it depends on the level of shame, probably. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there for some levity. Uh, yeah, this is an important idea, and I'm I'm always happy. This just brings to mind the whole point of this show is that we're connecting people around Indianapolis. This is a thrill for me to have you all here and talk about these things. So let's now talk about this connection to emerging adults. Uh, Merlin, I just was at your table talk last week and heard a young man uh, speak, a uh, very affable, good, uh, research-based kind of guy. But... Uh, gentlemen, you you speak now to and speak into the lives of these young people. What is all of what you've said thus far making a difference in their lives? What is it that you've said that is so important to them that you see change and the reason why you want to see Eden Consulting continue? So there are, um, at root, four questions that we're all asking all the time. And everything we do in our life is somehow trying to get at the answer to one of these four questions. Who am I? The question of identity. Why am I here? A question of purpose. 
where am I going? A question of direction. And does anybody really love me? Mm. A question of, of intimacy. So there's the question of identity and purpose and direction and intimacy drive everything we search mm. for in this life. Mm. And the fifth question that comes is, and who is going to help me find the answers to those four questions? That fifth question is why we have mentoring. Mm. Yeah. Okay? Mentoring in our hearts is the idea of helping you hear what God's answer is to those four questions mm. every time you encounter them in your life. Mm. Mm. So when Jeffrey Arnett in 1995 asked some hundred uh, people from the ages of 19 to 26, I think yeah. was the range, or 18 to 25 or in that range, asked them a bunch of questions about why they, what their career goals were, what their purpose is, why were they still living at home, et cetera, et cetera, across cultures, across languages, across socioeconomic uh, status, he asked these questions, and he got some very similar answers from across those different uh, spectrum spectra, and they were these essentially worded differently. They were essentially these four questions: mm. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Does anybody really love me? Mm. Now he didn't answer; those weren't the way they said them, mm -hmm. but those were the questions they asked. Mm. And he said, "What would happen if you actually understood?" that instead of seeing the 20s as just a place where people have chosen not to grow up yet, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's, what that's why he called it emerging adult, because adulthood was emerging through the 20s. Our friend Rick Dunn and uh, Janice Sundin at Trinity, they wrote a book called Shaping the Journey of Emerging Adults, mm. and they took the opposite spec, they took the opposite tack. They, t they looked at the, uh, the, the data that Arnett had, had pulled out and this idea of emerging adults and they said what would it look like if we actually created an atmosphere where an emerging adult could be could use their 20s in a way when they emerged out of it, their 20s were ready to move into leadership and whatever mm -hmm. their world was so they said how can we shape the journey of an emerging adult so that they can move and you know what's very interesting it isn't it's discipleship but it isn't our common Let's get out a, a book and let's work through a notebook and let's read our Bible every day for 10 minutes. Though some of those things can be good. Essentially, they said, if you want to walk with them, you need to actually be with them. Mm -hmm. And you need to actually listen to them. Mm -hmm. And you actually need to bring wisdom into their lives. <laughs> and it's relational. Mm -hmm. Discipleship is at root. Mentoring is at root relational. Yeah. It, um, it's very interesting. I teach, uh, my favorite course to teach is, is undergrad human sexuality. Mm. And of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a compelling You topic. have four children. I have four children. <laughs> <laughs> I've done my job for the kingdom. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I started off, we started off with a discussion of shame. But the, the, the theme of the class is this mm. is all about the heart. Mm. Everything we're talking about from the biology to the relational mm. to the problems and everything. And, and what I find, and you found this as well, is when, when a millennial or a young emerging adult gets an inkling that someone knows their heart, there are two things that happen. It's, there's a draw to it and there's a fear of it. Mm. And, and so at that point, the approach, you know, that relational approach, they're willing to just kind of stay back and, mm. and, and not pounce or not, uh, not you know, put your hand on the tiller, so to speak, for them. Um, you know, they, they will stay around. Um, and, and so they get it. They get that there, there's something going on in their heart. 
and, mm. and they haven't figured it out. And when they find someone they trust that can help them, mm. they're in. Mm. It's, it's, so I know we're talking a lot here, but if I can just, if there was a takeaway from this yeah. show mm -hmm. that I yeah. could say, well, how do you do this? How do you mentor someone? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, it's I'm willing to spend time with them. But what do you what do you do? The next question is always, well, what do I do? You know? Well, so I was thinking about this. What is over 25, 30 years of us doing this? What do we actually do? And I realized that being a, a preacher, I like alliteration. So the five P's, <laughs> it's actually, so we, what we do is the five P's of mentoring are patience. Okay? That means that I can wait and see what Jesus is going to do with this person. I don't need to figure it out for myself. Basically, Jesus has got this. Mm -hmm. Patience, peace. So I have to approach this idea of, of a relationship with somebody from a place of peace. Not my agenda. I'm not worried about whether Jesus knows him way better than I do. Mm. I approach from a place of Jesus' peace. Process, which means they're in a process and they're at a pace. And I have to, I have to match my pace with the Spirit's pace and that person's pace in the process. This is a process of them working through this. It isn't, mm. It's not going to happen all in one day. Peace, mm. patience, process, and, and then um, purpose. Why am I in this relationship? What's my goal? Is it for me to show how much mm. I know? Is it for me to prove that I know how to be a, dis, a, a mentor? Or is it your heart? Or what's my purpose here mm. you know, for this relationship? And then the last one is permission. Mm. And permission is extremely yeah. important. And this is what Dennis was getting at in this last thing. Sometimes you have to wait for permission. Mm. I have to tell my, my guys all the time, older guys, don't assume permission. Don't assume from permission from the spirit. And don't assume permission from the person mm. to go where you think they need to go. Mm. This is going to, even Merlin, in dealing with the, in, in, in the, in the, the kind of, uh, culture that you're working in, how extremely important permission is. Mm. To not assume just because someone came in and said, can I have a bag of food, that they've given you permission to do anything else in their life. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, and speak to that, please. I had, I had made my mistakes by assuming and not asking permission. And um, just so glad to hear what you're talking about uh, here, uh, John, because Again, in, in, out in the public, it's easy to assume things. It's easy to think that, hey, you know, we are helping you, and you should adjust to, to our system. Of course, we need to have a system and procedure, but at the same time, I think that sensitivity, that, that relational human aspect is more important than system and procedures. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like... Uh what we do at Comenius, we actually spend time with Christian young people. How about that? Yeah. And we listen. How about that? I think the other thing with that is, you know, we've been talking a lot about millennials, and we're mm -hmm. talking out like they're some, like they're raccoons or something like that. <laughs> um, but in the wild. In the wild, yeah. <laughs> but, but when we wait on permission, what I find is I'm learning about me. Mm. When I wait, you know, what my preconceived idea is, mm. it's like, oh, okay. Yep. I just found my bias. I found my, mm. you know, that piece that I need to mm. as I wait. The older I get, uh, I give people space and grace. Yeah. I just give them more and more opportunity for latitude and movement, you know, instead of trying to box yeah. them in, you know. Yeah, there's a, 
uh, there's a sense here with this this permission piece. Again, you're learning about yourself, but each one of these generations that comes through, now they're shorter. It used to be that it was 40 years, and then 20, and then 10. Now we're not- I'm noticing with every two years of yeah. college students, yeah. wow. I'm getting a different bit of a sense. So the, yeah. we're, mm. we've been throwing around terms like emerging adult and millennial, mm. and I think that this generation is, because if you were born between 1980 and 2000, I think you were a, a millennial. But now we have, for the first time, I now know people who were born in three different centuries. Mm. <laughs> my grandmother was born in the 19th century. My grandparents, everyone that I know, was probably born in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And now I'm meeting kids for the first time born in the 21st century mm. that are coming in. And all of them are different. But what's interesting is you wait patiently. So if the term millennials and emerging adults and young people and all these, these are these get thrown around. But technically, millennials are this generation that now are getting older. They're in their 30s now, some of them, some of the, the older ones. Millennials will float just like Gen X and boomers and everybody will float through society and they will keep some of their traits as they go through. But others will come up behind them with different names on their generation, and I don't know what the next one's called. I probably should. But what's interesting is the concept of emerging adults stays the same in this process in the way we're talking about it. Because this time from 20 to 30 in your life, no matter what your generation is called, is still the most critical part of your growth process for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Everything you learn in your 20s, just like they said, everything you learn in kindergarten, you know, mm-hmm. everything you learn and grow and do in your 20s is going to be the platform for how you're going to lead and proceed in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are powerful thoughts, powerful ideas, uh, things that uh, certainly we want everybody to hear about. I, let's take a few moments. We've got about seven minutes left in our program. Let's take a few moments just to explain Eden Consulting. And uh, then I'd also like to know how, uh, Merlin, from your uh, vantage point, how you see this connection with Eden Consulting as being something beneficial to what you're doing at Faith, Hope, and Love. So let's take like two minutes, gentlemen, to talk about Eden Consulting. Let's flip it over to Merlin and see that connection. Well, it, it emerged out of our, our passion for mentoring young people. And, and so what... Uh, we're really on the front end of developing the book being the first big push out of, of providing resources, perspective uh, where, uh, where emerging adults can, can come have, talk about their ideas, talk about what's going on and, and we in turn can resource them, bring them things that are happening in their life for them. You know. Yep, so our passion is to see emerging adults arrive at the end of that decade with the tools, the resources, the heart and the and the sense that they know how to go out and be the leaders for their mm-hmm. in whatever field that they're in. So we we as you said we want to provide them with the re- you know relationship that builds the awareness of their hearts, mm-hmm. awareness of, the, of scripture, awareness of who God is mm-hmm. in a relational context that allows them to grow into who God created them mm-hmm. to be in an intentional way. Mm-hmm. So how does how does this kind of consultation help somebody like yourself, Merlin? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, <clears throat> I think you know God really uh, put us together, uh, John. I remember when mm. we first met. You said, "So, uh, what's your world?" And uh, yeah, we have we have different experiences. We have different um, uh, ways how how we live life and how we deal with with others. And yeah, we deal with mm. uh, the um, 
the food insecure. And, and again, based on um, experience that we had in the past several years, we found out that really food is not, it's not, I don't think, this is my belief, is that it's not that we have scarcity of food in the city. I think it's more of the relationship, it's the connection, it's the collaboration, the networking, and putting things together. You know, uh, bringing that uh, John 17, the mm. unity in the body of Christ, how we can work together. Mm. I was uh, interviewing uh, the mayor of Westfield uh, a couple of weeks ago, mm. and he, he also agreed that, you know, yes, the government has, has role in that, the churches, the community, but at the same time, at the root of it, is the connection in the community because, you know, we, we heard about the saying that it takes a village to raise a child, but at the same time also it takes a village. The village, the community, the local community is the answer. What we can do probably is to affect the change, mm. to affect that atmosphere where people can start th- seeing that there is different reality than mm. what they are brought to since they were born. Mm. So, you know... Um, very, very great uh, information that, you know, Mark had, had uh, shed light uh, on my walk in this, but at the same time also Dennis and, and John. So for us in the next, um, you know, July 22 to 28, which is the 13th annual Faith, Hope, and Love Week, our theme is Beyond This Hunger. So we connected with another organization called Beyond This. He created a manual, which probably, John, you and I will just maybe have a cup of coffee uh, one of these days. But he has like uh, 20 different sections that he put together five years ago, and he's been using it. And it's proven, based on his statistics, the results of younger generation, the youth, and even uh, he's developing a... um, a curriculum now called uh, Beyond This Divorce and then Beyond This, say, Bankruptcy or whatever. So our focus mm-hmm. this time in the week of uh, Faith, Hope, and Love Week is Beyond This Hunger. Beyond a bag of food, beyond a bandage, and beyond, you know, just saying, hey, you know, I'll pray for you. What else can we do as a community? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with that awareness, we need to, to bring that, and that's why we're, we're inviting you, Mark, and John, maybe you also, uh, Dennis, to embark to, to, to do what we call zero zero one, which means that you will boycott breakfast and lunch, and then you'll just eat dinner. This is by choice. For many people, it's not their choice. It's their way of life, uh, eating one meal a day. But we will be able to experience because, again, experience, you know, we can have all the research, and I just, you know that, but unless you actually experience things, mm. uh, then uh, I think it will be more effective to really connect with, uh, with the people. Mm. So we're going to have the zero zero one. You're going to chronicle, tell the story, how it feels to be hungry, and then with that, we're going to encourage mm. uh, the community, and hopefully this will become viral and really understand this, the mystery of This hunger. is a great uh, great outreach that Merlin Gonzalez Faith, Hope, and Love is, is embarking upon. Uh, Dennis and John, I want to give you each 30 seconds uh, to give us one thing that you'd like uh, us to remember forever, one idea that will never leave our minds. If you want to leave us with one thing today, what would it be, Dennis? I have a theme for my class. It's all about the heart. If they just, just dial down what's going on in my heart, What's mm. going on in this other person's heart? Mm. Let's start there. Very good. 
John? In a similar way, I would say that your relationships will either flounder or flourish based on how well you know your own heart. Mm. These are powerful men in our communities. Uh, Dennis, of course, coming from Chicago, but John and Merlin here in Indianapolis, we're grateful for your time and your energy here today uh, talking about these very important ideas about bringing up the next generation of young people. Next week on Warp and Woof Radio, we'll be talking with Leon Longard, who is a local pastor here also concerned about community and specifically outreach to the those who do not have a voice and sometimes don't have a place to live. So Leon Longard will be with us uh, next week. And then in two weeks, uh, we're actually going to take the day off. We've never done this before, but we are going to take July 4th off. I think for obvious reasons, I hope it would be obvious to everybody to celebrate our nation's uh, history. And so uh, you've been listening to Warp and Woof Radio, radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. You hear us every Wednesday from 10 until noon. We'll be back again next week, but until then, see you then.